You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever he, it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. <clears throat> this morning, um, Let me set the stage here first, and then I want to share a story. This, when it, coming into that passage there, we see that the disciples, three of them, are with Jesus up on the mountain. And we see Jesus transfigured, and he shows his glory. And God comes in a cloud and says, this is my son, listen to him. So what we see is Jesus and these three disciples walking back down the mountain, and here's what they see. Did you ever... Um, were you ever, like, guilty just because your friends were guilty of something? You know, the classic guilt by association. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever, you were that, I was that kid in school who was, like, just doing my homework, and the kid beside me is yapping away. The teacher walks in. I, I literally had lunch detention three times for that. Like, and I was in fourth grade. It was, it, to me, I was a very emotional kid. Um, things like that hurt my feelings. I literally was the one crying because I got in lunch detention. That was me. I'm, I'm just being honest. I was not a very tough, big kid. It was pretty sad. Um, oh, there's the big guy. He should be intimidating. Nope. I'm weeping in the corner. You have lunch detention. I remember one time. This is a completely off. Uh, I'm just going here. I'm just saying what I'm saying. I remember one time I was in fourth grade, and my friend Corey was standing beside me in line waiting to go to lunch. We were leaving the bathroom, going to lunch. I took an empty plastic soda bottle and tapped him on the head with it. Just being silly. I got lunch detention. I cried for like a day and a half. It was not fair. It was not fair. Anyway, you ever get guilty by something that you had nothing to do with? Um, I remember in school one time, um, this was awful. This is just true and awful. Um, I was in 10th grade, I believe, and we had a Spanish teacher who decided to go to a different school. And so in the last minute, this is a private school, so things, things were different in, in a small private school. I don't know what school you're from. Things are different in a private school. And uh, we had this Spanish teacher who, who left. And so there was about a month where we didn't have a Spanish teacher. And it was our vice principal who had to, no, it was our principal actually at the time. She was, our other principal had left, so we had a new principal who was the vice principal. Anyway, she comes into the class and she's like, I don't know Spanish, guys, so... Um, Go ahead and study. So we'd study, like, and it wasn't really working. So she decided every Thursday, because we were good 10th graders, we deserved a day in the gym for a little bit until they found a new teacher. So they found a new teacher, and uh, just because she spoke Spanish and lived in the area, she was apparently a teacher. Um, so they, they hired her. It was a private school. I'm just being honest here. This is my private school, not your private school, my private school. Um, so they hired her, and... Um, I don't know who it was, but it wasn't me. Somebody in the class told this lady, the new teacher, that our principal said that we deserve Thursdays in the gym because we're a good class. So this new teacher believed us, them, and us. And um, for about a month and a half, every Thursday, we were in the gym playing and just hanging out. 
and doing what we wanted to do until one day the principal came downstairs. Um, not only were we just hanging out in the gym, our teacher's like, this is kind of a waste of time, but if the principal says so, let's do it. She decided to make every Thursday not only gym day, but Spanish cultural food day. So we ate a lot of Spanish food and hung out in the gym every Thursday at 10 a.m. It was wonderful. One day, though, the principal finds out, and it was one of those deals where the entire class got in trouble. I didn't make up the rule. I didn't, I didn't tell the lady that, but we all got in trouble. I was guilty by association. You, guys, you know what I'm talking about, where you're just included even though you didn't do it, but you didn't stop it. You know what I'm saying? That was me. Sorry. I'm just telling you the truth. Here what we see in Mark chapter 9 is a similar thing. You may be wondering how. Jesus is up on the mountain, and he's got three disciples, and he comes down, and he sees this argument with the other nine disciples, and there's a crowd around him. And look what it says. And the scribes arguing with them. See, what happened is, and we kind of preached on this before, the scribes and the Pharisees over and over and over again see Jesus do miracles. They see the work. They see him for who he is. But they refuse to believe it. They refuse to accept it. So they continue to fight against him. Jesus is away. His disciples are there. And the minute they can't do a miracle, they start to fight with his disciples. They start to argue, well, you know, if your Jesus is the Messiah, why, why are you not doing this? Do you ever have that in life where your friends or your family, they know you're a Christian, they know you're a believer. And the moment something goes wrong in your life, the moment your prayers aren't answered, or the moment that they can't figure out why you would do that, why you would do that thing that shouldn't be Christian-like, that the thing that's not Christian, they begin to attack your Jesus. This is what the scribes are doing. This is what's happening. They begin, because they couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, everything Jesus touched was, was healed. Everything that he did, ha- there was a miracle, there was the miraculous in it. They couldn't fight Jesus anymore. So they see nine disciples and they begin to argue with them. Well, the guy you just prayed for, the kid, he's not being healed. So your Jesus must be wrong. They begin to argue. They begin to cast their view, their aggression onto the disciples. See, the disciples, though, when Jesus comes, he says, you faithless generation. He's not saying that the disciples have no faith, and he's not saying that the father of this child has no faith. And let me explain why. In Mark chapter 6, we see the disciples are sent out with nothing, and it says they healed the sick and they cast out demons. So the disciples have already cast out demons. They've already done this before. They've seen this happen. The father sees Jesus, and his response is to bring his son to Jesus. The scribes, on the other hand, are standing there looking for an opportunity to attack Jesus and his character. I feel like often in life, there are people, today we're going to look at three different types of doubt and faith. The first one we see here in the scribes, and that's doubt beyond beyond faith. They've seen the work of God. They've seen his hand evident, and yet they refuse to believe it. And they'll find little reasons how they can attack it. They can find little things in your life and my life to begin to attack Jesus, to begin to attack God. Well, if God's so good, why did this happen to you? If Jesus is who he says he is, then why is this happening? Oh, yeah, I prayed the other week and he didn't answer my response, so God's no good. 
He didn't answer me when I wanted him to, so your Jesus isn't who he says he is. I feel like there's this doubt that wants to attack beyond faith, that it doesn't see God's hand throughout all creation, throughout all their life, and wants to find the little things to pick at and say God doesn't exist. There's this doubt that wants to attack faith. See, in their, in, there are people in their very lives that God's moved and they won't recognize it. That accident that they were almost in, they won't recognize it as God's hand. The recovery from sickness, they won't realize that God was in it. The job that they didn't get, and they're glad they didn't get because now they got a better job. They won't realize that God's hand was, was in that. The relationship that didn't work out, thankfully, and now there's another relationship that is working out. They won't recognize that God answered a prayer there. The breath in their lungs, they won't recognize that it's a gift from God. We see in Scripture that all creation testifies of who God is. We see his hand in the invisible things all over. And there are people whose doubt is beyond faith because they want to find something to prove him wrong. There's, some, there's people who want to prove Christianity and God wrong. They won't recognize his hand when it's all around them. The scribes saw Jesus over and over and over again. And here's a moment they want to attack faith. They find something small in the disciples and they attack him. Does that make sense this morning? Do you see what ha- what's happening here? See, they, they, people like that want you and I to have a perfect life and then all of a sudden they believe. It's as if God's supposed to be a genie. Like you just do what he, he just does what I say. If, if, if God's really who he is, he'll answer every prayer. If God is real, then he'll do all these things that I want him to do. I feel like... Um, my teenage years, I was kind of looking for, for a God like that. Like, you know, if God wants me to do this with my career, then he'll give me a billboard in the sky right now. I literally said those things to my friend. Like, if God wants me to date this girl, he'll give me a sign right now along this road above Turkey Hill before I buy my green tea. There's the sign. You shall date and marry her. Like, I literally thought like that. I, I did. Oh, he didn't. So it must not be the will of God. It must not be. God's not present in my life. That's nonsense. There are, God, I, I stand here now, and it's funny, I have this conversation with Jared all the time. I can look back and see the things that didn't work out and see God's hand. And there are people who will not do that because they want to find that God's hand doesn't work. They, it, it didn't work when they wanted it to, so they want to prove that it doesn't. The second type, type of faith here we see... Um, First, let me, well, that last one, let me say this. You and I are not perfect representations of Christ, but he is the per- perfect representation of the Father. That's what happens here. They look to the disciples, the scribes looked to the disciples and wanted them to be a perfect representation of the Father. Well, all the while, Jesus is a perfect representation of the Father, and he was right in front of them. The truth is, as long as you and I are people, we are not perfect representations of Christ. People stop going to the church. Well, somebody hurt me. The truth is, yeah, people hurt people. People do. If you hang around with me long enough, I will probably hurt you. Because I, not physically, because you already, you already heard, heard I, I cry, I'm sensitive, I'm emotional. I will probably offend you. I will probably make you mad. I am not a perfect representation of Christ. But he is a perfect representation of the Father. That's good for news for you guys this morning. You are not a perfect representation. We continue to change and transform more and more into the image of Christ. But there are moments where I hurt people. 
where I say stupid things, where I make dumb decisions, and people cannot look at me and say, well, if, you didn't, if it didn't work for you, then God doesn't exist. That's nonsense. Moving on to point number two. Mark chapter 9, verse 19, we're going to pick up here. So Jesus asked him, um, what's happening? The father comes and says, I asked your disciples. In 19, he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. So, second one I want to point out here. This is a strange, strange thing. So Jesus says to the father, what's going on? The father explains and he says, if you could. And Jesus goes, if you can, all things are possible. And then the father says, this is, you got you to catch this, okay? Because if you miss this, you miss what's happening here. The father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Does that make any sense to people? Like, you, do you remember oxymorons in, in high school or like whatever you learned about high school? Or oxymorons? I don't know. Is there a class on oxymorons? I don't know. Do you remember oxymorons, you know? Um, I have two girls, and Haley sometimes drives me nuts with some things she says because they don't make any sense. She likes to make up words right now. And, like, I'm all for creativity, but when you're just chanting nonsense for a while, it's like, all right, let's sing some stuff that makes sense because daddy's confused. Um, But, like, I'll ask her to do things, or I'll be like, hey, which shoes do you want? I'll hold two shoes out in front of her. And she'll be like, I want that one, that one. I want that one, that one. Or I'll be like, do you want to eat hot dogs for lunch? I do and I don't. I do, but I don't. And then she'll turn it into a song. I do, but I don't. I do, but I don't. And I'll be like, answer me. Which one do you want? Do you want these shoes? or I want that one, that one. That's not a fun answer. Do you ever, um, I'm sure, guys, you guys know what I'm talking about here. If you're married or if you're dating. You're driving, it's time for dinner, and your wife, girlfriend's like, hey, pick a restaurant anywhere, anywhere you want, anywhere you want to pick. And you're like, okay. And then all of a sudden she's like, wait, but just not this one, not Red Robin. And I'm not in the mood for Chinese. And uh, let's not do something, something we can sit down and eat. So you're like, "Um, anywhere I want, but not those three. Um, That makes sense. Um, How about Panera Bread? Ooh. Hmm. Okay. How about how about pizza? Ooh, well, we had pizza the other day. That was a week ago. Well, hmm. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anything you want, but not these. And then you go somewhere, you pick something, you, you say it, and your wife is kind of just like, "Yeah, that's fine. If that's what you want, if, if, if that's what you'd like, I told you to pick whatever you want." So we go there, and then like, 
I know what I want right away. I order it, and that's delicious. I'm like, this was great. Love it. Get in the car. And she's like, oh, they had nothing there that I wanted. Like, but you had to pick the place. Like, I didn't have to pick the place. I, I wanted you to pick the place, but you know what I'm talking about? It's like, okay, I asked you for something, but yet you, you, you didn't really anywhere, but just not these 15 places. Okay, that leaves us with two. So where do you want to go? Tell me the two that I missed. Jesus says to this father, what's, what's happening here? And he says, if you can, Jesus says, anything's possible if you believe. And the father's response is, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's in this, this thing in his heart where I'm bringing him to you, but I'm struggling. I'm, I'm bringing him to you because I think, I, I believe you can. But the scribes are mocking. The disciples just did it. And it's not working. I'm in unbelief. And he recognizes that. He says, Jesus, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals him. Jesus responds in the midst of his doubt. The second one is doubt in the midst of belief. I feel like a lot of times our faith is like this. Where we believe Jesus, I'm bringing this to you. But there's this voice over here or this past experience over here that kind of puts a little doubt in my heart. It makes me struggle with complete belief. And I know you say anything's possible to those who believe, but, and I'm believing, but yet help my unbelief. Does that make sense this morning? I feel like I can relate to this guy. Jesus, I'm bringing my kids to you. I need this healing. But there's something still struggling. There's something that causes me to doubt just a little bit. You need to help my unbelief. I am thankful this morning that he still moves in the midst of my unbelief. He didn't sit around and wait for this guy to like get a hundred percent belief on the belief meter. You know what I'm talking about? He didn't like wait and like, eh, you're at 95%. I'm going to wait. I want, I want, I want to try you a little bit. I want your faith to be tested here. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to come back in five minutes and then we'll check. Jesus just does it. He heals him. I'm thankful that we have a, a God and a Father who responds in the midst of our doubt. We have the faith in Him, but there's all these voices that weigh down on our faith. Does that make sense this morning? I'm thankful that we have a God that responds in the midst of my doubt. I'm thankful that I have a God who, who responds even though I'm not at 100% today. The third one. I'm calling mis- misdirected faith. I want to first look at this story, though, in Matthew, because I think Matthew, um, Matthew has a little different view than Mark. It's the same story. They're not two opposing views, but Mark recorded one thing that Matthew didn't. And I want to look at Matthew's first. Matthew chapter 16, or 17, I mean, starting in verse 20. This is right after he heals him, heals the boy. Starting in verse 20, it says this. He said to them, oh wait, actually start in 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now most of my life, I took this verse to mean that if you just have a mustard seed, Little bitty faith, you know, go back to the Sunday school class. You know, you got the felt boards, you got mustard seeds, little experiment. Little bitty mustard seeds. If I just have this little pinch of faith, 
then anything will happen. Whatever I say will happen. Mountains will be moved. If you look at that term, though, ye of little faith, Jesus also uses it in Mark chapter 6. Actually, Matthew 6, I mean, where he's talking about being anxious for nothing, for tomorrow will take care of itself. And he calls them ye of little faith. Little here is not size-wise, but substance. It's lacking something. Something's missing, like the John Mayer song. Something's missing. There's something that's just not quite right. Like there's faith, but something's off. The ingredients are wrong. You've got a little bit of faith, but it's wrong. It's not that they don't have, like they have, the, the disciples aren't lacking any faith. They're, it's not like they're at zero on the faith meter, okay? They've already seen Christ move. They're following him. To me, that says they've got a lot of faith in him. They've already cast out demons. So if I've already cast out a demon a month ago, my faith meter is probably going to be a little bit more than a mustard seed. Does that make sense? But something's off. Something's not on track here. Something's a little clouded. Um, do, you, do you ever like cook something and you're missing a, an ingredient? Like this is, okay, what's the, one of the most easy things to cook in your life? Ramen noodles, right? This is a true story. My sister, um, love her. Don't ask her to cook for you. Just don't ever ask her to cook for you. I mean, she's gotten better. But I remember we're in high school. And my mom's working. This is like summertime, actually. So we're, you know, we're teenagers. And um, we got we to gotta feed ourselves. Mom's working. Dad's working. What are we going to have for lunch? My sister decides to cook ramen noodles. She takes a ramen noodle packet, opens it up, pours it in a bowl, sticks it in the microwave, turns it on. She forgot an ingredient. It's called water. <laughs> she turned it on, cooked the thing with no water, and it was a smoking brick of noodles <laughs> like five minutes later. Um, you're missing an ingredient, the whole thing just goes wrong. It doesn't work out. You don't have soup, you have a burnt block. It's awful. You miss one thing and it's all messed up. Jesus says, you're missing something. You've got a substance problem in your faith. But if you have the right thing, you can move mountains. If you have just a little bit of the right substance, anything can happen. Let's look back at Mark. See, these guys, before I read Mark, I want to read, I want to say a few thoughts. Let's, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a minute, if we could. They've done this before. They've cast out demons before, right? But now things are a little bit different. There's nine of them there. Jesus before sent them out in small groups. Here they are, nine disciples. So you got your disciple friends with you. We're all Jesus' disciples. We're pretty cool. You know, Jesus is up doing his thing on the mountain right now. And there's a, somebody brings a demon or a, the child to him. There's a crowd there. And not only is the crowd there, you got the father, you got the crowd, and you got scribes. You got the voice of the scribes watching you. You got the eyes of the crowd watching you. You got the eyes of the father watching you. I'm putting myself in this place. And if Jesus says something's missing because it didn't work, I'm just trying to think, what is that sub, something? What is that thing that's missing? If I'm in their shoes in that moment, I'm thinking, I've done this before. I can do this again. And then I pray and nothing happens. I don't think that their faith was like lacking because they didn't believe it could happen. But they're putting their faith in themselves in that moment. They were trying to work something. 
They were trying to do something that lacked faith in Christ and all faith in past experience. I've seen miracles happen before with me praying and with friends, Kenny, Selena, we were in Africa. We saw the miraculous happen. I've seen the miraculous happen here in, here in Scranton where God healed people. And if I went to the next situation and thought, I did this last week, I can do it again. And all of my thoughts were about me being a disciple. I'm not putting my faith in him, the one who does it. Does that make sense? I feel like the something that's missing here is not a faith that God can do these things. They were looking at themselves to do these things in this moment. So all of a sudden they're like, wait, Jesus, it didn't work. It worked before when I did this, but now it's not working when I did this this time. It's all about, they were trying to create a system. They were trying to create something that was based on what they could do in themselves. Like, oh, I learned how to ride a bike when I was little. I can ride a bike again. Healing, casting out demons and healing the sick is not the same thing as learning to tie your shoes or riding a bike. It's a complete faith in Christ and not in what you've already done or accomplished. So here they are, and they think that they can do this. See, what I'm not saying that is if you have enough faith, that everything that you ask for will happen, but what Christ is saying, that nothing is impossible when your faith is placed in him. If you have the right substance in him, nothing is impossible is what he says. It's me recognizing that if I put my faith in Christ, anything can happen. When I trust God to heal Haley in her deaf ear, I recognize that God can do it. When our cousin, who's 10, has cancer, it's not me saying I can do this, but I have the faith in Christ that he is the one that heals it. And he can do it. It's not impossible. When When we plant a church, it's me putting faith in Christ that, Christ, you're the one who builds a church, not me. When you put faith, the substance, small amount in him, anything is possible. I'm not saying everything will happen. I'm saying anything is possible. That's exciting to me this morning, to know that I have a God that anything is possible. He says you have the right substance, we'll we'll move mountains. It just happens. Not because of me, but because of the substance, the thing that I have my faith in. That's exciting. Mark, let's look at Mark chapter 9 here. Jesus, um, Mark, we see a little uh, different side of the story as well. Mark chapter 9, verse 28. And when they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Um, John Calvin says this in his commentary on this. He says, for the weakness of faith, he prescribes prayer as the remedy. When my faith is weak, when my faith is in the wrong thing, when it's of the wrong substance, or if it's a small amount. If I'm like the Father, and I've got belief, but it's really low belief. I'm struggling. Or if I've been putting myself, putting my faith in myself instead of Him, we see that Jesus' response to them, there has to be prayer. There has to be prayer. See, prayer activates our faith. Well, let me explain a few reasons why. Ash and I have been praying together a lot lately, uh, at night before bed. 
And it's really, it's really been exciting for me because we, at night we put our prayers together and we ask God for specific things. And whatever is on our heart, we just kind of pray with. And it's been cool because I can look back and I can see where God answered those prayers. Like I vocalize, we vocalize them together. And we see how God's moving. We see how God's answering these prayers. So when I see that, it activates more faith in me. When I pray for something and I can recognize this is what I'm asking you for, God. This is what I'm asking you for. It activates more faith that it's possible, that it happens. And then I see his hand move. So when I ask him for direction and I get direction, it stirs up faith. For when I ask him for healing and I get healing, it stirs up more faith. To ask for more healing. Do you see the cycle here? Jesus gives them an answer. He gives them two answers here that are recorded in the two different Gospels. That you got to have the right substance and you need to be activating it with prayer. You need to be activating it with prayer. I feel like, just I'm just being honest, I feel like our culture and in general, prayer has become something that's much more of like a, it's like an appetizer. Like, well, I don't have to have the appetizer. Like, I kind of like it, you know, it tastes good, but I don't really have to have it. I feel like that's what we view prayer in. Gen- I'm, I know this is a broad broad statement, but I feel like we view prayer as like that side item when it's not supposed to be that at all. It's the thing that activates our desire for faith. It's the thing that propels us. It's how we are fun- how we're functional in the body of Christ through prayer. Um. Can I just be honest with you for a few minutes? Is that all right? Yeah, I'm going to be blunt. I was talking to some of our guys, some of our board guys this week, and I was saying, I feel like if I would put out a, a sign-up sheet for, for um, a barbecue, well, first off, our church doesn't do well with sign-up sheets. We just show up. It's, it's fine with me. I'm just saying. But we'd have, I put out a sign-up sheet for a barbecue tomorrow, and we'd have about 60 people show up. Which is great. Fun time. You know, when friends get together, it's a good time. It's, it's our church slogan. There we are. <laughs> um, but if I put out a thing about prayer next month, that we're going to be praying and asking God to move, there'll be five of us. And we've seen that over and over again here. And I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'm not saying that at all. And I know schedules are weird, especially when you have a Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, you, know, you just got off work. I understand that. But we were in Africa recently, and it's, it's a large church in the city. Well, it wasn't always a large church. It is now. But when they started the church, and there was a bunch of 20-year-olds. They started this church as a young adults ministry, and it turned into a church of their own. Um, but on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock, you walk into the building, and there's 60 young adults, 20-year-olds, crying out to God. Literally crying out to God and praising Him, singing worships at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. That's prime time for sleeping or partying, one of the two in America. It is the same thing there, too. Their culture is not a lot different than ours. 20, 60-some adults on a Saturday night crying out for God. So they see the miraculous happen on a regular basis. They expect the miraculous to happen because they've built a culture of prayer. These things come out through prayer. These things happen because of prayer. My challenge today, and I know I've covered three different aspects here of doubt. Maybe, maybe you're the, the cynical voice of a scribe that just wants to find a reason that God doesn't exist. So you didn't answer the one prayer, so therefore God doesn't exist. I challenge you on that because it's just silly, just being honest. 
And if you're the one who's constantly feeling like that pressure from your friends, your response is, he is the perfect image of the Father, not me. If you're like the dad and you're struggling with unbelief, but yet you believe, the answer is also the same thing for the disciples here. Why did it happen? Stir it up with prayer. Stir it up with prayer. If our worship team can come forward. Um, this morning, I, I would love to... My desire is to see that this church becomes an exciting church, not because we're cool and we have fun things happening, but because we have an environment where we expect God to move and we see him move. We ask him to move and we see him move. I want to build a culture that loves prayer, that loves to ask God and seek his face and give him praise when he responds that thanks him for when he does show up in ways that we specifically asked. And also that we thank him when he doesn't answer the prayer the way we wanted him to. Because he's good and he is sovereign. This morning as we sing some worship, I want the uh, also, also for the prayer team, um, you know who you are, if you could come forward um, at this time. <laughs> I want to ask you, if you feel like you're really struggling with just belief in God at all, in any of these areas, you're welcome to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to just ask God to give you guidance, to give you clarity, or whatever. We want to pray with you. But also, it'd be silly for us to talk about faith for things if we don't actually exercise faith and prayer for things. It'd be really s- silly for me to say, hey, let's pray for God to heal the sick when we don't pray for the sick. It'd be really silly if I say, God, I need you to intervene in this relationship or this situation in my life, and yet we don't pray for that situation. Um, so if our prayer guys could come forward... Um, I want, as we sing this song, if you don't feel like any of those things are you, then just worship him. But if you realize one of these things are me, or I've got a situation, or I've got a sickness that needs healed, then come forward. Let me encourage you. I've shared this story, I think, last week, but I want to share it again. When we were in South Africa, we prayed for a lady about 20 years old. No, she was 20, 21 who had terminal cancer, like it was, it was advanced cancer. And we prayed with that church, those group of guys who pray every Saturday night and ask God to move. We prayed like I've never heard prayer before. And and two weeks after I get back to the States, the pastor calls me, well, he messaged me on Facebook. That's a long phone call. He messaged me. He said, do you remember her? And I said, yeah. He said, last week she went to the doctor and it's completely gone. There's not a trace of cancer. This, this is what we believe at City Lights. This is what we talk about. If we, if we would have just preached, hey, God heals the sick, and then she didn't come forward and we didn't pray for her, I don't know. I don't know what would happen. We have to do this. This is what Christ has called us to do. Let's worship, and if you feel like you need prayer for anything, please come forward.